This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello friends, happy Friday. I hope your day is treating you well. Today we are talking about what I call the unquenchable thirst of a geneagram type. But first, I wanted to let you know that this is a recording of an Instagram live chat. So you may notice that the things are a bit different in the cadence of how I'm speaking and the way I may respond to people in the audience. So that's just something to keep in mind. It's just gonna sound a little bit different, but I'm really excited about this episode. This is something I haven't really put words to before, but something I am very excited to explore with you. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Please DM me on Instagram at Sarah Jane Case or tag me on Instagram if you listen to this episode and you have insights or thoughts. I would love to see them. And thank you again for listening and I hope you enjoy. Hello everybody. If you're watching the replay, hi. Thank you for clicking on play. I kind of coming in on a surprise live to talk about something that's been on my mind lately with the Enneagram, kind of like a deeper take on self-love. And I thought I'm having my little afternoon matcha moment and I thought let's have it together and like hang out and chat Enneagram. Uh, let me know if this sounds okay. I have a microphone on today, which I don't normally do, but yeah, let me know how that sounds. Hello everybody who's joining. Um, yeah, we're gonna talk about self-love and your Enneagram type, but we're gonna do it through kind of a unique lens, something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, but haven't really ever, thank you, um, Chantilly Lace, I haven't ever really put words to in the way that we're gonna do it today. So the other week, I got asked a question about how fours tend to ask people to mirror their emotions. So, and not even like verbally ask, it's like a, unconscious energetic ask where they're kind of like putting their feelings into you so that they can see them mirrored back to themselves. And they were asking about that and and you can go listen to that episode. It was in this past Wednesday's um, podcast or that's last Wednesday's podcast. So in that I was talking about how early childhood development, right, for fours, often in their early formative experiences, they felt um, invalidated by their like family system or, or an early, early support system, which then made them feel, because fours kind of refused to be invalidated, they were like, let's talk about the truth of our emotions. Um, then they start to feel like they don't belong, right? So there's kind of this like missing message of validation and belonging. And so in adulthood, right, mirroring offers you both validation and belonging, right? You get the sense of like, we're in this together. 
If I can make you feel what I'm feeling, if you can match my intensity of feeling, then we're in this together and I'm being validated and I belong. So um, through that conversation, I talked about what I call the unquenchable thirst. And that is the belief that I, my belief, <laughs> like this is the first time I'm really putting words to it, that each Enneagram type has an unquenchable thirst, something that we are seeking in other people that they can never ever satisfy in us. Something that we're like hoping someone else or some outside experience will finally quench that deep unquenchable thirst for us. But the only way that we can actually ever quench the thirst is like through providing that for ourselves, through finding like the deeper experience of that thing. So oftentimes what we're doing when we're seeking it in other people is we're settling for this illusion of the thing we're seeking. Um, and, and we'll get into specifics, type specific in just a second, but we're kind of settling for the illusion of the thing, right? Like this kind of a lackluster replication of what we're hoping to actually experience. And so because we're settling for the illusion of the thing and we're seeking it through other people, we're kind of desperate for it, it can never be satisfied. So there's never enough. There will never be enough. No one will ever fully satisfy it. It's kind of like we're constantly on on the search for it. But what we have to do is we have to find the deeper thing that we're actually seeking, the truer, more honest, more deep version of the, the illusion that we're settling for. And we have to figure out how to provide that for ourselves. So I wanna get into the specifics of what that looks like by Enneagram type. I'm gonna go in order today. We're gonna go from like one to nine. Sometimes I'll ask you guys like, what's your type? We'll start with that. But today we're just gonna go in order because I want this to be coherent because sometimes I'm, I'm not always the most organized being. So we're going to start with number one. So the unquenchable thirst here for type one is being good enough. Um, so there's this sense of like, if I could only be good enough and it may not be like a conscious, like they're thinking the phrase, am I good enough? But more so they're seeking what, like, what are all these responsibilities? When am I going to be able to rest when is there when will I have done enough to know that I'm I'm able to call it a day like I have accomplished enough I have edited enough I have worked enough I have cleaned enough I have um, been good enough I have been ethical enough like when is that limit of being good enough gonna hit so that I can fully digest that I am good that I am a good person who deserves to have good things happen for them, right? So that being said, the settling for the illusion, I have like my little notes down here for you guys. So they settle for the illusion of being good enough by being ethical and responsible and holding themselves to extremely high standards. And I call this an illusion, right? Because there's no destination here for that, right? Like there is, it's like, if I can only be, if I can just have the perfect integrity, if I can be perfectly ethical, if I can be perfectly responsible, if I can work hard enough, if I can be dedicated enough, then I'll be good enough, right? And the truth is like, then that sense of being good enough will never come from accomplishing the thing, it will, the, the target will always move. There's always more to do. There's always better to be. Um, there's always imperfection that's inherent. That's part of life. And so the deeper, truer thing that our type ones need to hold on to and need to really like understand and digest is that they've 
already are good enough, right? That they're inherently good, that they were born good enough, um, that there is no amount of doing, no amount of accom- no amount of like improving, no amount of um, moral responsibility that will make them any more worthy or any more good. And so if they can really digest that, right, that like I, I was born good enough, I am good enough, then they don't have to earn it or try to constantly um, find it outside of themselves, right? They can just kind of accept and, and be in that being. That doesn't mean that they'll never be morally responsible again. Like, I don't think that's their problem, right? Like more so, it'll just look like kind of a quiet confidence of, okay, now I can choose where I'm putting that energy. I get to choose when I'm showing up. I get to choose when I rest. I get to choose when I um, am, you know, giving of myself toward the, the projects or the causes that matter to me instead of I have to constantly be doing this to earn my sense of being good, right? So can you, does that, like, this is our first time talking about this. Like, if you've been listening this whole time, does that make sense? Like, how we're this unquenchable thirst theory, basically. Like, we have this thing that we're trying to get outside of ourselves, so we're settling for this, like, illusion of striving for that thing, right? And hoping that other people can validate it or we can find it outside of ourselves, but then understanding what's the deeper version of that that we can provide for ourselves. Is that registering before we kind of move on to our next type? Type two. Um, so type two, yes, okay, awesome, Sarah, thank you. No, we haven't gotten to three yet. We're still going. We're just on type two. Um, so the unquenchable thirst here for our type twos is on being and feeling loved or feeling lovable, right? So what can happen sometimes in our relationship to twos is we can feel like there's never enough love for them. Like I can't do enough to show you that I love you and for you to really believe me and like really digest it. And therefore, a lot of times maybe in partnerships, their partners may feel like I can never give you enough love. There's always, you're always dissatisfied. There's never enough love that I can give you because the two has that unquenchable thirst for feeling loved and feeling lovable. Um, so it's, they can be easily disappointed in their partners or easily disappointed in their friendships because what they're really seeking is evidence and proof that like they're worthy and they're worthy of love. And that's something that they're not going to be able to get right through other people. That's going to be unquenchable. So when we think about the illusion of love, they're settling for the illusion of love through kind of flattering other people so that they can kind of get flattering in return or even sometimes like hiding their true selves, right? Like hiding the their needs, hiding who they really, like how they really feel about something because they want the other person to approve of them. So maybe they try to like give them the version of themselves that they think that person will love. And so that being said, what we need for our twos to be able to do is to really identify that they are inherently lovable, they are inherently worthy of love, and to take all of that energy that they tend to expend giving to other people and put it back onto themselves, right? So if they're like, okay, I'm trying to earn love through doing, through flattery, through um, kind of shifting who how I show up to people so that they accept me, and instead turn that energy inward and say like, how can I romance myself? How can I affirm myself? How can I make sure that I'm giving myself all the love that I am actually hoping other people will give to me? And that way you can have like a deeper, less conditional sense of, am I okay? Am I lovable? You, it's, there's an innate sense of love that's just in your being, right? So then it comes from this, when you go into relationships in this way, right? You can come from a place of like, 
we're good. Me and me are good, right? I am fully loved. And everything that you bring to me is a bonus. So when you do something for me, I can truly appreciate it because it never had to fill the hole in my heart, right? Like it never had to complete me. I am already, I've done that for myself, right? Okay, so let's get into type three. I'll try and move a little faster through the types. I just have a lot of things to say. All right, so number three, there's an unquenchable thirst for being admired, right? So the illusion that we settle for, for as type threes is this societal expectation of what success means. And societal in the larger sense, but also maybe in your community or your family system, what whoever's dis yes, Sabrina, I'll save it. Whoever is discerning what success is in the broader sense, right? So you're kind of trying to live up to this like larger description of what success means. Oftentimes losing, tr losing connection with yourself, right? So you're losing sense of like, what do I like? What do I feel? What do I want? Um, how does my life even feel to me? Maybe you're going into like credit card debt in order to have like really nice things so that you look successful, but maybe you don't feel successful inside because you kind of know you're in debt, right? Like this, this, you're settling for the illusion that you're being admired by people and you're kind of exhausting yourself to try to quench this thirst of worth of like, admire me. Am I good enough? Um, am I worthy enough? Do you think I'm successful enough? And then the moving target of success is never ending, right? Like there is always, once you get to the top of the mountain, there's another mountain to climb and then another mountain to climb and there's never an end because the destination will continue to move. And as you accomplish things, the more normal those things start to feel and no longer feel like accomplishments. So then you have to add more accomplishments over more accomplishments and more accomplishments just so that you can kind of feel like something, you know, maybe you'll get like a taste of, of a quench of thirst here. But if we want to really quench that thirst for our type threes, what you have to do is define success for yourself, right? Define it by how you want to feel in your life and then allow yourself to feel that, allow, allow that to exist for yourself. So let's say you want to feel peace, you want to feel ease, maybe you want to feel um, connected to people. So then what in your life, what goals, what kind of things that you're doing so that other people see you as successful are writing you out of your ability to feel peace and ease and connected. And then start to make decisions, start to make shifts and patterns so that you can actually be satisfied in your life instead of living your life for the perception of others, right? Okay, so number four, or type four, the unquenchable thirst here we talked about a little bit earlier for those who have been here from the beginning is being validated, right? Like type fours can never be validated or seen in their feelings enough. There is always more validation that they would like. There's always more sense of belonging that they would like, more sense of like, I am... I am like, my emotions are not too much. My emotions are not a problem. I am okay to have my full range of the emotional experience. Now, that being said, they tend to settle for the illusion of having their emotional energy matched. So sometimes what our fours will do, right, is they'll kind of get you to go into the intensity with them so that they can see that you're feeling what they're feeling so that they can feel as though they're being validated and that they belong. So... Maybe this looks like kind of picking a fight. Maybe this looks like just being like so down that they're like kind of pulling you in. And sometimes it's on more on an energetic level where you can kind of just feel 
unconsciously, especially if you're an empathic person, just kind of like feel their feelings with them to the degree. It's because they want that matching of intensity. They want that mirroring. So that being said, they're settling for this illusion of like, if I get you to match my intensity, then I'll feel validated. But the truth is what tends to happen is when that emotional intention, intensity gets matched, they actually end up blocking their access to validation, right? Because now this other person's in it with them. And so they're not getting seen truthfully in their pain. Um, and at the same time, um, they're also oftentimes if they're if it's through picking a fight or kind of maybe getting someone who's a little less comfortable in their emotions to go into deep emotions it can it can create a sense of a rejection of them kind of actually solidifying the sense that their emotions are too much like in their mind right so what we need to do instead if we're if we have this like unquenchable thirst that the tactic we're using is not providing that for us right we need to be able to intensely validate ourselves offer ourselves like unconditional self-acceptance, true a true sense of like, you are not too much, everything that you are is enough, you have nothing to prove and you have nothing that you need to let go of, like you are okay just as you are and the emotions that you have, you don't have to intensify just to feel like it's okay to feel that, right? Like you're allowed to just validate that experience without even sitting in that experience for long. Like you're allowed to just be okay with the fluidity of the fact that you are an emotional being. Um, and like offering yourself that deep, deep, true self-acceptance, right? That you are not going to be rejected. You always have a place where you belong and you always have a place where you're validated. So then when we come into conversation with other people, we're coming from a sense of, no, actually, I know that my emotions are valid. I know that what I'm saying is true. So your rejection of that is no longer scary for me. It's actually just information as to like how you're showing up here. And like my ability to see what's not working in this space or what, what, or to voice or name the pain that is here in the world, that is here in the situation is actually not a problem. And it doesn't make me worthy of rejection. It just shows me that maybe like, not that I don't belong, but maybe we are not a good fit. Or maybe this isn't working for me. Or maybe you have a little bit of, a, of emotional expansion to do where so often the force tend to like blame themselves because they feel like they're, there's something innately wrong with them, right? Today's podcast is brought to you by Ethos. Now, if you're hearing this ad, we, I've got good news for you. That means you're alive. So you've still got time to get life insurance with Ethos. With Ethos, you could get life insurance in 10 minutes for as little as $10 a month. Unlike other companies' long, confusing, and outdated application process, Ethos's 100% online application takes only minutes so you can get back to living. Ethos has no medical exams, just a few easy health questions, and competitive rates from top-rated carriers. Ethos is affordable and convenient. Here's the thing, friends. I do not like to make a phone call. I think if you're in my generation or younger, you understand the pain and the agony of pulling my phone up, calling a number, and being afraid that they're going to lock me into some weird sales grift and I'm not going to be able to get off the phone. That's why Ethos works for me because it's just all online. You go on, you fill out the form, and you are good to go. Join the thousands of satisfied families protected with help from Ethos who have given the company a 4.8 star rating on Google Reviews. Every year you wait, life insurance premiums increase by 8 to 10%. 
Get a free personalized quote at ethoslife.com slash egram. Spelled E-T-H-O-S life.com slash egram. Go to ethoslife.com slash egram to get your free life insurance quote today. Ethos Technologies Incorporated operates in California as Ethos Life Insurance Services. Not available in all states and prices subject to underwriting and certain health questions. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Um, all right, our type five. Yay, I'm so glad you're here. Um, so our type five, the unquenchable thirst here is of being capable and qualified. So they tend to seek this through kind of professional qualifications, um, information, uh, trying to like learn everything they can about a topic so they can feel like they're qualified to speak on it. And sometimes what they're settling often for is the illusion of qualification or the illusion of like credibility or capability. I'm going to check my notes and see, um, through like, being qualified, right? It's like through someone else kind of saying like, here is your certification or here is when you will be perfectly qualified to speak on this thing. Here's how you're going to know that you're ready. And the reality is that even with a qualification, I know fives who have multiple degrees, right? Even with these qualifications, they may not still feel ready, right? There's kind of this unquenchable thirst for information to kind of calm their anxieties, but also to kind of call themselves qualified, right? And the truer, deeper version of like what they're really seeking is the confidence that comes through action and repetition, right? So um, the the confidence that comes from doing something over and over and over again, speaking on something over and over and over again, cannot come through just taking in our knowledge. Like we can take in, we can learn and learn and learn all day long. And it's very important. I'm not disqualifying that, but it's not going to build the confidence. It's not going to offer you the confidence that you need to do the things to speak on the things that you love to speak on with the confidence that you're seeking outside of yourself without repetition. Cause you have to do something over and over again and repeat it over and over again before you're like, okay, I feel qualified. And it starts, you have to kind of start feeling unqualified and unready. Type six, um, there's an unquenchable thirst here for being supported. Um, you see this in specifically, um, you know, I know our counterphobic sixes are always like, what about us? Um, and I really think they need to focus on like eight advice, maybe four advice as well. But for the other two subtypes of six, what we need to focus on here, like what happens or what they settle for 
is this polling of the people in their lives. So um, they, they want to feel supported, so they go seeking advice. And the, the problem with this is that they're seeking advice maybe from like lots of different people, lots of different sources who have all kinds of different opinions, all kinds of different ideas. And so then it's actually creating more chaos, more internal confusion, offering them kind of the opposite of support because they're like in this like unquenchable thirst for certainty and, it's, and this unquenchable thirst for support, they're getting confusion in return. And at the same time, oftentimes this can look like going to authority. Uh, maybe you have, you're not kind of polling an audience, which some sixes might do. Maybe instead you're like, okay, I have one sense of authority. I have like a boss, a parental figure. I have maybe a religion or a political belief that kind of gives me some sense of certainty. And through that, I'm just going to follow what that says to do. And when I doubt, I'm just going to like like let my head ping pong back and forth and just kind of go back and forth and see all these perspectives and kind of create even more confusion, right? So there's almost like this sense of like, I want to be loyal to this, but at the same time I'm having questions and like those questions make me feel um, kind of like bad about myself. Like I can't trust myself because I trust this person, but if I don't always agree with this person, can I trust myself? And it's kind of like this, you know, that can happen in the type six mind. And so these two things, this kind of two illusions that they're settling for often kind of unsettle them, right? This like seeking of certainty, seeking of support that through other people can actually be pretty unsettling and unsupportive. So the deeper sense of support that our type six needs to work on. Okay. So the deeper sense of support that we need to work on is um, self-trust, right? We need to focus on deep, true self-trust. And through that, right, we have that then honest sense of support. So when we go to other people through, for advice, we get to field it based off of, well, like, does that line up with what I want? Does that line up with how I truly feel? Um, and you have kind of a strong, stable foundation inside of you that all of the other feedback, which might you might value, no longer gets um, to like disrupt your sense of stability and your sense of self-belief, right? So that's our type six. Um, type seven, I'm speaking about myself now. Um, type seven, we can never have enough happiness or satisfaction. There is no amount of joy that will ever quench our thirst for joy. And oftentimes we settle for the illusion of like the, the really high sense of like joy and pleasure and fun that is oftentimes sometimes like once in a lifetime experiences that we try to live in constantly. And sometimes this can look like wanting our partners to constantly keep us happy. Like someone else around us is sad or maybe feeling negative or maybe complaining. And that feels like that's not, I can't handle that. That's too much. Um, I need to just feel I need to feel good all the time, right? This like unquenchable thirst for happiness and good feeling and like pleasure and joy. That being said, like the deeper, more true version of that that we need to find within ourselves is the ability to be happy and content in the present moment. Meaning just because everything doesn't feel like sunshine and roses right now doesn't mean that like my life, I've made wrong choices for the life that I'm living, right? It doesn't mean that I need to quit it all and run away to, to Paris and like start life over again. Or it doesn't mean that I need to like spend all my money on an experience just to feel good in this moment. Instead, it's the, it's the sensation of like, 
I'm working really hard, the sun's beating down on my back or whatever it is that we're doing, that there's something that's like deeply painful maybe even, and we can say like, in it is still good. Even in the pain sometimes, right, there is good to be found and there's something to appreciate. And what we're, what we really are wanting for our sevens, instead of like seeking happiness outside of themselves, seeking joy in their experiences, instead being able to say like happiness and joy are in the present moment. I can be grateful for what is here and now instead of thinking about what could be good down the road or if I eliminate this thing in my life, then I'll feel good or, you know, looking for ways to escape pain instead saying like, even in my pain, I'm okay. Even in my sadness, I am safe. Even in this like hard season, I can still find things to be grateful for and good, right? Um, that's the deeper, more grounded, more self-supportive version of the illusion that we tend to seek in these kind of momentary bursts of pleasure. All right, type eight, we, the, the unquenchable thirst here is for proving themselves, for being strong. And they're seeking this evidence through, you know, not having needs, not letting people help them through pushing themselves, through pushing through obstacle after obstacle for like proving themselves in their lives in like every way, not um, giving up, right? This energy of like, I will always make it through. I will always push through. So they're settling for the illusion of strength through exhaustion, through being self-reliant, through overwork often, through not sharing their vulnerability, through hiding their pain. And the true deep, the eights are going to hate this, the true, deep, actual, self-supportive, quenching of your thirst kind of strength and, and capacity is actually through your vulnerability. It's through opening up to people. It's through letting yourself be seen in your weakness. It's through asking for support. It's through allowing people to love you even at your, like, your weakest and most vulnerable state. And then finally being able to have this, like, like, true, strong sense of, Yes, Angelie Lace. Yes, so many good eights already do feel that way. They're like, yes, I've gotten there. I made it to that point. And it's like, so, it's so, so good. <laughs> um, but through that vulnerability, you're actually able to receive the love that you're trying to earn through strength. You're trying, the, the sense of accomplishment, the sense of like, I am strong enough. The most vulnerable thing, like if you can really like, be the most vulnerable. There's so much power in that, right? There's so much like true strength in that. And honestly, like there's this deeper level of confidence that comes from vulnerability that like is just unmatched. Like when you're in an argument with someone and instead of denying what they're experiencing with you, instead of saying like, that's not true, that's not real. Instead of saying that, staying instead, well, I'm doing that because I'm scared of blank, whatever it is maybe you're afraid of, and allowing that person to see you that way, trusting that they're not going to use that against you, and then allowing that person to actually show up and surprise you, there's a confidence that comes through that that is so much deeper, so much more true, so much more honest than the confidence that we portray through how strong and capable we can be, right? How, how much power we have or how much we can like prove our strength. 
that being said, I know that's easier said than done, but here's what I'm afraid of for eights. If you haven't gotten to this point yet, if, if like what I'm saying to you is like kind of making you mad, um, I really want you to hear me when I say this. Most eights get to this point eventually, but often it's through injury or sickness because they have pushed themselves so far that their body literally starts breaking down and screaming at them. And then they are forced to rely on other people. And I just, if you were listening to this and you haven't gotten to that point yet, I just want to like, I want you to skip that step, right? Like just, if you could just start now, we could skip the whole injury thing, right? the whole sickness thing, and just get to that place ahead of time and kind of choose that path so it can be a much more gentle version of strength that's gonna be easier on your system and easier on your relationships too. Okay, let's go on to our nines. Um, yeah, thank you, Chant Chantilly Lace, I like your name. Okay, type nine, we have the unquenchable thirst of peace of mind. So oftentimes they're settling for the illusion of peace of mind through numbing their emotions, through avoiding conflict, through, hold on, <coughs> sorry friends, um, they're seeking it through numbing, through avoiding conflict, and they're setting for, settling for the illusion of peace through avoiding discomfort, right? So if I can like not really feel anything too intensely, if I can numb myself, if I can avoid the things that are stressing me out, then I'll feel peace. But the true peace, the the quenched, like the thirst that gets quenched through taking care of ourselves, through like only being able to really do this for ourselves is going to be the peace of mind that you have in your feelings, right? In your discomfort. The ability to expand your comfort zone to prove to yourself that you can kind of do more than you thought you could do, um, put yourself out there, be seen for who you really are, loved for that, um, and then finding inner peace even in the midst of discomfort, saying, okay, I'm gonna put myself out there, I'm gonna do the things that scare me, I'm gonna have the hard conversation, and in that I will still hold a place of inner peace. I can have peace and discomfort at the same time. That's like the more true, like, foundation of what you're really looking for, right? That's like, like when we're settling, when we're like scrolling through TikTok to avoid feeling our feelings, we're seeking, we're like really hoping for the true deeper sense of peace that we're, but we're settling for the illusion of it through numbing. Okay, that's all nine types. That's just what I've been thinking about lately. Um, <laughs> that's just kind of what's been on my mind. And I thought I would share it with you all. And you know what, I think I should point this back. I should talk to you about my book because it's book launch season and I, I didn't even talk about the book at all um, because I'm just so excited to talk about the content. But I think I have a piece in the book um, that is for type two that I think really shows this well for the type two structure and I think it would be really fun to read that to you guys. So let me let me pull it up. Okay, so this is kind of a two-part piece. Um, so it's about type two. Again, this is like for the type two structure and kind of a really good way of how this unquenchable thirst plays out in our partnerships. So it starts with the type two perspective called feeling unloved. It says, lately it feels like a string is tied to my heart. And with each strained interaction, someone yanks it with all they've got. 
My eyes become aqueducts and my stomach a hurricane. The sensation is so brutally undesirable that I jump into action at any slight hint that it could arise. Just let everything be okay. Let's just all be okay. My throat burns from holding back the screams of, I don't think anyone loves me. As I worry about whether they've eaten enough or for lunch or how they will get enough sleep tonight, so I busy myself trying to sew up the holes in the fabric of our connections through managing our schedule, keeping the dishes washed, and giving them all of my attention, and then I seethe. Anger boiling in my chest as I scrub one more tomato soup stain off the godforsaken counter, and I don't think anyone loves me boils in my veins and I think I'm not grateful enough for what I have and try to fix it all within myself. If I could just be happy, then everything will be okay. We will all just be okay. They need to eat. They need to sleep. They need me to be happy to see them after a day of bleeding myself out where the tomato stains used to lie on the counter. I just want someone to love me. Ooh, it always makes me cry. That, ooh, that type two stuff is, is rough. And then a partner's perspective. So the second piece is a continuation of this first piece from the perspective of the choose partner. It says, lately it feels like nothing I do is ever enough. Every bid to show affection is dismissed and I'm afraid I'm foolish if I don't give up. The sensation is so brutally undesirable that I hesitate to make grand gestures out of fear that they'll be missed. I just want you to be okay. Let's just all be okay. My eyes sting from the way you let the words I love you pass by as though they've not been said. Your eyes darting toward the next thing that needs to be taken care of. You're so focused on whether I've eaten or I've slept that you don't have time to really connect. I cleaned the bathroom today, hoping you would notice, but you were so busy making sure I didn't have to take care of myself that it felt like a drop in the bucket. And then I pull back. You looked incredible this morning as you got ready for the day, and I put my arms around you to whisper compliments in your ear, but the words were shrugged off with a self-effacing comment, and my arms unlinked from your waist as you rushed to do the dishes. And I want to scream, don't you see how much I love you? It's like I'm playing a game of 20 questions. Which gesture of love will be enough today? Sometimes you need to hear the words. Other times it's touch that you crave. Some days I know you just want me to wash the tomato soup off the counter, but I always seem to be off the right gesture at the wrong time. I just want you to know that I love you. I love you. I love you. So that's like the kind of artistic expression of what this unquenchable thirst looks and feels like, right, for the type two structure. This sense of like the two kind of constantly feeling like they're not loved, they're not being loved enough, and they're over, they're pouring themselves out, and then the partner saying like, I'm trying to love you, but it feels like everything I'm doing is wrong, and like I'm not giving you enough, because that two structure, right, needs to go back into themselves, be able to offer themselves the love that they're seeking from everyone else. And that's the only way that like, that love will ever be quenched, that there will ever be enough, that these like gestures that the, the partner and the partner's perspective are showing can actually be received because there's kind of, there's not an empty bottomless pit where love was supposed to go, right? Um, so that 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.